Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast, hashtag Pitbull Stories Edition. My name is Rachel Laurie Harris. I'm a professional dog trainer, and I'm also the proud owner of an American Staffordshire Terrier that we lovingly call Waylon. In this series, Pitbull Stories, I talk with pitbull owners all over the world, and we share our stories about pitbulls, how we got into pitbulls, how we love pitbulls, what we've learned from them, and how we're advocating for the breed now. I'm really looking Looking forward to sharing these stories. And if you'd like to be a part of this series, please follow us over on the Instagram at a good feeling underscore NCO. Send me a DM. I would love to chat and hear your pitbull story. Enjoy. With a lot of mixed breed dogs, which are the kind you see in like shelters and rescues, is you don't actually know the breed, but a lot of dogs get labeled as a pitbull mix because they have a certain like characteristic that they look like and oftentimes like we're really bad at identifying dog breeds by so bad like we're really bad no one is ever really that accurate right and so you get all these these dogs that are labeled as like a pit mix and they get all this stigma attached to them they're harder to adopt out people can't get their landlords to approve they can't find insurance that'll cover them um really unnecessarily and then you know years later someone does a dna test and finds out the dog has none of those pitbull breeds in them at all right well and i think the danger of that too right is in like the pitbull label and the stigma follows the dog to its new home right and so the dog's treated differently and you know different sets of protocols are put in place because of the dog and it the dog's associated label of pitbull and sorry about Sparta. <laughs> Dude, welcome. I'm so happy to have you with us. He cannot be alone. Um, sorry. Um, but so all the like the label follows them and that that influences the way that they're treated. Um, and that influences then their behavior. Yeah, right? Like we're the variable. We're the variable here. And if we don't like treat them like they're some scary monster, like they're just dogs. Okay. Right. So, so tell me this. So do, of, of all of your dogs, well, now you have Eleanor, but of all of your dogs, do you consider any of like, do you call them pit bulls? Yeah. Um, so Ariel, I call a pit mix. Rose, I call a pit mix. Um, well, Rose, I call a pocket pity cause she's littler. Not that I, I don't know what a pocket pity really is, but she's smaller than Ariel and therefore she's pocket sized to me. Yes, she is. <laughs> Relatively speaking. <laughs> Yeah, it's so interesting, right? Because like the more people I talk to, like, I think we all share that sentiment, right? Like we don't want dogs to be unnecessarily labeled pit bulls. But then like, as we get to know dogs, like we're comfortable doing it with our own dogs. Because like, I don't know, for me, I feel like it's like a trust thing where I know that I'm not like, I can trust myself not to like, use that for evil for my dogs, you know? Right. So one of the reasons why I use that term specifically is because I feel at, for certain, you know, Ariel is really, really good with children, for example. Like you can tug on her tail, tug on her ears. You can stick your hand in her mouth. She, <laughs> like, she's so good with children. And so I often intentionally use the word pit bull. Um, in that context, because I, I want to kind of change 
the perception of what a pit bull means and change the stigma associated with them being aggressive or unfriendly or not safe. Um, so oftentimes I use the, the, the term pit bull intentionally because I feel like in, in different contexts, my different dogs are good ambassadors for the label. Dude, I love that. I love that distinction you've made. And I find myself doing that too, right? Because like Waylon's an Amstaff, right? Like he's a purebred American Staffshire Terrier, but I still call him Pitbull, you know? Yeah. And I do, it's totally along the same lines, right? Like when Waylon's like rocking it in public, I'm like, oh yeah, this is my Pitbull. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So, um, okay. So for for all of the disorderly dogs listeners, um, can you tell us, so was Ariel the beginning of blocky headed dogs for you or was there one that lived before her? No, it was Ariel. So when I was thinking about adopting a dog, I, I said to myself, you know, I want the dog that needs me the most. Um, and so I was doing research and basically, you know, the interwebs was telling me, you know, pitbulls are hard to get adopted. Older dogs are hard to get adopted. Like dog reactive dogs are hard to get adopted. Like, and Ariel just was like, check, 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 check. And I was like, great, nobody wants her. I'll take her. <laughs> oh my God. Right. So, um, okay. So did you, so you re, did you research like the like pitbull label and like breed before you brought her home? Yeah. Um, so like, I was researching everything about dogs at first. And then once I decided like, I want a sad pit bull that nobody else wants, like that's when I really got into like, you know, there really is no true pit, you know, there's, there's different breeds that fall under that category. And here's what the science says about their like behavior assessments and really getting into, you know, the science of it all and reading a couple of academic articles. Cause at the time I was in grad school, which is great because schools have free access to journal articles. That's amazing. So you got your hands on stuff that like the general public can't get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to pay for it if you, if you don't have that kind of access. Right. Right. That's amazing. Okay. So when you brought her like home and into your life, like how'd the family feel about her? Um, my family was very cautious and not I don't want to say only because she was a pit bull that definitely played into it, but they just are cautious about dogs in general. Um, my sister was attacked by a dog when she was four. And so since then my family has been very anti-dog. Um, so bringing in a pit bull was a great idea. Yeah. But it's crazy how those negative associations last, right? Dude, that's right. me. My mom got attacked by a chihuahua when she was a kid. I didn't have a dog until I was a grown up and I moved out of her house. Right. That's same. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. But then do you, do you feel like Ariel like won them over? It was like, check me out guys. Yeah. So now they're like, wow, like she's so well behaved. And so now they say, and I kind of agree with it. They're like, I don't really like I don't really like dog owners who don't train their dogs. That's what they say now. <laughs> but dude, I think that the, there's so much truth in that, right? Because like what a different environment it would be for the community if like all dogs were just like responsibly owned. Right. And like, trained. so it's just part they, of that, but. Yeah. And like, they don't like it when like dogs run up to them and jump on them and stuff like that. And like Ariel does not do that because I've trained her not to. 
Right. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, okay, so was okay, so Ariel came first and then was okay, remind me, was Gus second or was Rose second? Gus was second by about a week. Oh. <laughs> um, do not I do not recommend getting two dogs at the same time for integrating into your pack. It worked out like like it was it was fine-ish. Um I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> okay so then okay and then okay remind me did rose fall into your lab or did you choose to foster her and then she stayed i can't remember i know we talked about so, this in the last episode we did yeah so gus was the one who we originally were just going to foster and he ended up staying and then rose we wanted to adopt her and just did a foster to adopt because that's the way the rescue does their adoptions yeah so did um so did the the rescue have her listed as a pit bull rose I honestly can't remember. Um, I had been searching for another dog for a couple months and was having a hard time finding um, an older, I wanted a senior dog. That was like the one thing I was like, it has to be senior and they have to be dog friendly. Um, and so I was having a hard time finding dogs near me that met those two qualifications. Right. Um, and so a friend sent me Rose's post and was like, why aren't you adopting Rose? Like, I don't understand. You met, like, you, you know all about her. Why aren't you adopting her? I was like, oh, that's a good point. I should, <laughs> I should just apply and we can, you know, have a meet and greet. Um, but I don't think they even mentioned breed. And I feel like a lot of rescues are moving away from that. They'll say, you know, we can't identify a, a dog's breed without a DNA test or history of their parents. I love that so much. And like, I'm sure you probably read this study, but like they like did it like in a shelter, right? So instead of doing breeds, they labeled by like size. So like small, medium, and large. Mm -hmm. And it greatly improved the adoption rate of all of the dogs, but in particular dogs with the label pit bull without confirmation of breed. Yeah. Right? Like, and I, I, what is, I think we should celebrate rescues who are doing that. I think that that's the most responsible, ethical thing they can do. Right. It, help, it helps dogs in the long run. And I, I think it, you know, I almost feel like it's irresponsible to say that a dog is a pit mix or something when they don't have any idea. Yeah, right? And like so many like blocky headed dogs, like boxers, uh, English bulldogs and like every mix from A to Z gets thrown in this pit bull category, right? Like that can't be right. That can't be right. Okay. No, so, not at all. so once, okay. So once you like had Ariel established and you brought Rose in, like how, how do you feel like your community perceives slash reacts to you? Like when you're out, like I know Gus is all fluffy, so he probably acts as a buffer from some of that, but <laughs> It's funny, actually. So when we're out with Gus and the girls, people will come over and they'll say, can I pet him? And I go, no, but you can pet one of the girls because they love people and he hates people. And they just get like this really sad. They're like, oh, okay, I'll pet the consolation prize. And I'm like, dude, like these are the friendliest, most loving girls you'll ever meet. And even though you don't like them now, but like they think that you're best friends. So... Right. They're right. going to try and follow you home. Hope you don't mind. 
Oh my God. Right. Like, and I think, I think that that's such a good like education for people, right? Like they're individual dogs. Like, no, you can't just touch the fluffy one, right? Like his name is Gus and he doesn't want to interact with you. So no. Yeah. Yeah. He hates people. I mean, no, I shouldn't say that. He doesn't hate people. He's terrified of people. Um, But he will warm up to you eventually, but it doesn't, it doesn't happen in five minutes. It takes several weeks or months. Yeah. Right. And I think that's a good boundary for people to learn, right? Like, no, this, this dog doesn't want to be touched by you. And like, I think when we, if we like thought about it, like in human terms, like if I didn't know someone, I just went over to them and touched them. Like, no, that's not socially acceptable. Like don't do it right. to dogs either. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so, um, but do you feel like in general, like your community is like progressive as far as like understanding of blocky headed dogs? Or do you feel like there's still a lot of like fear and myths and stigma? I think there's a good amount of stigma still. Um, Like a couple months ago, we were, so we recently moved, so we had to get a new dog walker. So we were looking for a new dog walker and you know, we called up a couple people and, you know, told them the whole deal because the, the issue is that Gus is afraid of people. He hates people. So it takes time for him to acclimate to somebody. So we needed to get somebody in and do walks like with them for a while so that he could get used to them before letting them take him solo. Right. Um, so we told them the whole deal. And then one of the walkers we were talking with came back and was like, oh, by the way, like what breeds are they? And so, you know, not really thinking about it, we were like, oh yeah, like we have two pit mixes. And she was like, oh yeah, I don't walk pit bulls. Weird. Yeah. So there are, I have encountered and like, I'm part of my town's like Facebook group, you know, like town Facebook groups are always interesting. Um, but That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. But so there've been a couple of people in there that I've noticed that definitely have that like negative stigma about it. Um, I don't, I don't think people go so far as to like, nobody's ever like yelled at me for having a pit bull or anything like that. I've never had anybody, you know, be like, Oh, like scary. Like, how could you have that dog? That might change with Eleanor because she's so beefy and blocky and she has the cropped ears and, you know, she, she to me is like quintessential what you think of when you think of pitbull so that might change a little now that i have a dog that's like i would say more like traditional looking of of what people think of a pitbull um but so far i would say people just have like a little bit of weariness right or not breed but to the the dogs that look like that for sure so um okay so for those of um my listeners um can you tell them where you are so we're in Hopkinton, Massachusetts, which is about 45 minutes outside of Boston. It's where the Boston Marathon starts. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Well, yeah, it'll be interesting with Eleanor, right? Like, and it's crazy because I feel like as soon as people see those cropped ears, I feel like it, it hashes up a lot of fears in people. Yeah, absolutely. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Okay. So in your experience, what are some like normal ish, like blocky headed type behaviors that you feel like get blown out of proportion? 
I mean, I don't, I'm not sure this is exclusive to blocky headed dogs, but I feel like they're, it's associated with their breed rather than associated with their personality is like dogs who are reactive on leash. So like blocky headed dogs are judged more harshly, I, I feel, for being reactive. And it's, oh, that dog is scary rather than, oh, that dog must be friendly and just overexcited. Yeah, right. It's interesting because this conversation has come up a lot and like the, the, the talks I've had with other blocky headed people, right. That like, mm -hmm. instead of seeing the dog as having a hard time, right. Like they're having a hard time. Maybe they're scared. Maybe they're overstimulated, but because they're a blocky headed dog, like the mind goes to like, just confirming the like bias that they already have about the dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. And it, it does, right? Like I feel like leash reactivity in general is like one of the most like overblown behaviors. Like if you don't understand what's happening, I totally get it. It, pre it presents ridiculous sometimes, right? Like, yeah. right? like it looks crazy, but I feel right. like in society, we could, we could, uh, we could kind of take a chill pill with the judgment of dogs. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Like, you know what's happening with that individual dog, right? Like it's doing its best. Its owner is doing its best. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you on that. I really like that example. Okay. So, um, as you've, as you've like leaned into being a blocky headed owner, um, are there myths that you feel like you're like still unlearning or you feel like initially, like you really got clear on like what was bullshit and what was true? Um, I guess one myth that like, I don't know how I'd never, I'd, I guess I'd never really looked into it. Um, so, you know, people will have the myth of like the lockjaw of pit bulls. Yeah. Um, and I, it was something that I had heard, but I never really bothered to look into it. And then when Ariel did start having behavioral problems, that's when I really started like getting more into it. Um, and then realizing that like, no, and, and yes, they have they're strong dogs, they're big dogs, they're powerful, but they don't have any unique mechanism that makes them different than other dogs. Right? Yeah. And I think that, I think that that could be like confusing for just like the average person because like lockjaws don't exist, right? Not a thing in any dogs, but that doesn't mean that like larger breeds don't do more damage or cause more force. Cause more right. force, I feel like, is maybe the more, like, politically correct, like, accurate thing, right? Like, yeah. but a Rottweiler, any other large breed, right? Like, they're all right. in that same category. It's so a golden retriever. Yeah, right? It's so crazy to me how just this one breed of dog got painted as this, like, mythic monster. Like, it's, it's crazy when you think about, like, wait, what? Like, how, how is this even possible? Okay. So in addition to like the access you had to like the data, did you do any like reading? Do you have any like favorite, like educational resources you can share with us? Um, yeah. So Pat McConnell writes a lot of books and really just all of them are great. Uh, those, she, I, I just feel like those books really helped me understand dogs and how to communicate with them. Um, Cause I feel like that's what it is. Like your relationship with your dog is learning how to communicate with them and getting them to understand what you want and understanding what it is they're looking for from you. 
Well, and I think, you know, like this, this theme has come up in like every conversation I've had, right? Like what it really boils down to is if we all as a whole understood behavior, there would be no bullshit stigma around pit bulls, right? right. Like if we could all just get savvy about understanding dog behavior, then there would be no need for like these weird fears and things to still exist in the community. Exactly. Right. Oh my God. Okay. So I want to kind of wrap it up here, but I want to hear um, from you. I know you do a lot of advocating, not just for, for blacky headed dogs, but for homeless dogs all over. Um, yeah. But if you could just kind of share with my listeners, the ones that don't already know you, like how you use your platform to educate and, um, you know, in some of the, the stigma surrounding pit bulls. Yeah. So I try to show, I try to educate by showing. So giving examples of the things we do. Um, so we do slow introductions when meeting new dogs. It, we, it's not in one day. It's not in one walk. We do multiple walks over several days. Um, we do muzzle training and I muzzle trained all three of my dogs, even though only one of them really needs it. Um, because I, I just really believe that they're a useful tool and it's better to have it down and not be something that increases anxiety when it, if it ever is needed. Oh my God. I love that so much. Like, yes. Right. Like yes to muzzle training and yes for responsible ownership and blocky headed dogs, muzzle train all dogs, but yeah. yeah. And then the other thing I feel like we'd, we'd like to show a lot is like, running a managed household. So my dogs are not given free roam of the house. Um, Ariel and Rose are not allowed to be left alone together. And so, you know, we, it takes thought. It's not, it's not easy in that, like, I don't just throw the dogs out there, but it's not challenging. It takes 10 extra seconds in every hour, maybe to, you know, close a baby gate or put up a baby pen or make sure, or do a crate and rotate or something. Um, or even just putting them in a down stay somewhere with a leash, just in case. Yeah, no. And I think that that's important for people to see, right. And bring awareness to, right. Like, it's not that like all dogs can just be loose all the time together. Like sometimes that's not the reality we're faced with. Right. And that is okay. And I have so much respect for you guys. Right. And, and how you so artfully and like with so much ease are able to manage your household. Yeah, and I think that that's what's been really effective is just showing people what we do and it gives people ideas and helps people kind of troubleshoot the things that have been going on in their house, their households. Because I've had so many people message me and go, you know, I'm having this problem and, uh, and you helped me solve it. And I'm like, I didn't actually do anything. I just showed you what I was doing, but I'm glad you worked through it. That's awesome. Yeah, dude, and leading by example, right? Like, I feel like that's that's... Yeah if not everything, pretty close to everything, right? And just like being proof of what's possible. And I, I love I love how you went looking for the dog who needed you the most. Like, that's so beautiful. Oh my God. That was my justification for allowing myself to have a dog. <laughs> oh my God, I love it so much. Okay, any final thoughts about pit bull type dogs? Um, they're my favorite. and. They are so loving, or all of the ones I've ever met have been so loving, and I really think that you should get to know them individually before you judge them. 
I love that. I love that so much. Okay. So if people want to follow along with your amazing crew and your amazing life, um, can you tell them how they can find you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram and it's at Ariel the Brindle. Nice. Okay. And I'll include a link to that in the show notes so people can find you. Awesome. Thanks. Yes. Okay. Well, from one blocky headed owner to another, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co. You can also find us on Facebook at a good feeling dog training, as well as our website, agfdogtraining.com.